Great to see you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here at the church. And if you're here for the very first time, we want to welcome you. We're just so glad you're here, chose to spend your uh, morning with us. Uh, we've got a lot planned today. Before we go into our time of teaching, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, about twice a year, we do a course here on Sunday nights. I actually teach it. Um, it's going to be tonight and next Sunday night from 6 to 9. And it's called The Movement. And what this course is, is uh, it's where we share kind of our vision and values, strategies, kind of what makes Rocky Peak, Rocky Peak. It's a course that you take uh, if you want to become what many churches will call a member. We call it a partner. And so we've been announcing it the last two or three weeks. I don't want to uh, spend a lot of time with it, but there is time for you still to get involved. If you want to come, uh, then you can go ahead and sign up. We would ask you to go online and sign up. Inside of your um, program, there is a nice little insert here called the movement course. It tells you how to do that. Um, and that way we'll have name tags. We'll have food for you. We'll be all prepared uh, for you tonight. Uh, secondly, is that a lot of you know about once a month, uh, Lynn and I open our home and we do what's called a next step dessert. And this is designed for those of you who are newer to Rocky Peak, just to share, again, a little of our vision, a little of our values, strategies, how to get involved, kind of designed as an orientation to Rocky Peak. Uh, it's a place we get to know you, hear a little bit of your story, hear a little bit of our story. It's a great time. Uh, we have room every time for about 25 guests, and usually they, they fill up uh, long in advance. So often if you go online, they're already filled up. But this uh, next Saturday night, we're having our next one. We actually have some openings right now, and so I wanted to announce that. In case you want to come join us, we would love to have you for that. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for this time of teaching. I encourage you to uh, take that out. You'll definitely need it. And if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. We're here in your place. We're under your leadership. Father, we're under the authority of your spirit, under the leadership of your son, our king. And we come today to, to listen, to learn, to be open to you. We come hungry for you to speak. Lord, you said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right, for they will be filled. And so we pray that today, by your spirit, you would come and answer that hunger of our heart. We pray that as you do, that our, our minds will be open, our hearts will be open, that as always, we would then listen and follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today at uh, Mount Whitney. In fact, at least it was supposed to start at Mount Whitney. Uh, this is where they had planned. Uh, this is what they had trained for. The plan was to backpack in and then leave their backpacks at the bottom, create a base camp, and do the one day up and back of Mount Whitney. But when the week came, uh, there were fires, huge fires on the eastern side of the Sierras, and so they had to change their plans. And they thought about canceling the trip. You know, maybe we can't go but really didn't want to do that, kind of trained, we're ready for this. And so they hopped on the internet and, uh, and they, they punched in uh, top hikes in the Sierras. And uh, this, one, this one hike, one backpacking trip kept coming up. It was a 27 mile loop. It would cover two mountain passes, high mountain passes. It would be 11.5, 11,500 feet. Um, it would take you down through valleys, over streams, by lakes, through wildflowers. And they said, yeah, let's go for it. And so they 
headed out, and uh, first day they kind of drove up to the area, got a hotel, the next day they just get an early start the next day. Next day they got up, went to base camp, and they took off, and from the beginning, it was a challenge. And the first day, pelting rain, thunder, lightning. Is it safe to hike or not? And after spending the whole day hiking through rain, they set up their first camp at a high mountain lake above a tree line. And the next day would be the day that they would ascend their first mountain pass. And the day started off fine. The trail was clear. It was a beautiful day. And all of a sudden, the trail disappeared. And they found themselves going on all fours over what they later found out was called scree, where granite and the granite has decomposed and it's just, just pebbles and sand up a steep ascent and they're trying to make it up in the slipper and hands and feet and they finally get to the top of the first pass and spend the rest of the day, 11 hours on the trail. And they set up camp right before dark about eight o'clock. Third day they get up and now their bodies are starting to feel the effects. As they begin to hike, this is the day they have their tallest ascent, their tallest pass. But as they take off, one is sick. One person's sick, has to stop every so often to get off the trail. The other has internal bleeding. And so when they finally get about midday to the highest peak that they have to go over, it looked ominous, granite-faced, not a tree on the hill, very steep, and they're not in best shape. And they're beginning to wonder, <laughs> was the forest fire a sign? <laughs> well, today, we are, uh, we're continuing our series. It's called Metamorphosis Face-to-Face. In fact, today, we're actually kind of wrapping up that series. If you're brand new, uh, this, is, uh, this, this series was the first season of a longer series. Um, it's based on a letter from one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. We call him Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he's uh, writing to a group of Jesus followers that he had actually led to the Lord about five or six years earlier in what we call today Southern Greece. It's a major metropolitan city, one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire called Corinth. And so we call this letter Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. But uh, if you've been with us in this series, you know that uh, last week we kind of wrapped up chapter 7 and actually came to the end of this first major section of this letter. And so what I want to do today, if you, if you were to compare our journey in this series, today is the 16th message in this series, if you were to compare our journey to, uh, or comparing this series to a journey, um, it's like as if we've ascended a tall mountain peak. And before we move into the next, uh, next season of this series, next week that it covers chapter eight and nine, I wanted to stop here as if we're at the top of a mountain, uh, mountain pass and look back where we've come and highlight like five of the key concepts, five of the key lessons that we've learned along the way, kind of wrap them up and take them with us as we move into season two that is start next week. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Metamorphosis, the vantage point. 
Um, picture we're on top of a, a high mountain at this point in this series. We have this beautiful vantage point. We're looking back where we've come. We're going to be able to look forward where we're going. And uh, what I want to do to get at this is I'm going to give you five key words or five key phrases to kind of describe some of the lessons, the concepts that we've learned that are so important, understanding kind of this vision of metamorphosis that we're on. And so the first word, the first word is the word transformation. And of course, this goes to the heart of this series. It even goes to the name of this series. Uh, if you've been here throughout this series, you know this. The reason we call this series Metamorphosis is because one of the key words that Paul uses to describe God's vision for our lives as we follow Jesus uh, is this Greek word metamorpho. And that's uh, where we get our word metamorphosis which is the word we use to describe a slow but profound, sometimes even radical transformation. Uh, it's the word we use, for example, to describe the transition from a, a tadpole goes through, from tadpole to frog or caterpillar to butterfly. But it's, as we've seen in this series, it's also the word God uses to describe his vision for our lives and the transformation we go through as we enter into what Paul describes as a face-to-face -face relationship with God, first-hand relationship, um, and we are, uh, are entered into a relationship where we're transformed supernaturally by his Holy Spirit uh, as we learn to listen and follow his leading in our life. And the first time we actually encountered this word in this letter was in chapter three. And there in your note sheet, I put the verse. In fact, I put all the verses today. We won't be actually opening our Bibles like we normally do uh, since uh, we're kind of shorter time for baptism. But uh, this is where we, we were introduced to this concept in chapter three. And so uh, uh, Paul writes, he says, we all as Christ followers um, who with unveiled faces we contemplate or we see the Lord's glory, we are being what? Transformed. There's our word. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And all this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so if you were here that week, way back when, when we looked at this passage, what we, we saw is that when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. He led them to Mount Sinai. And when they got to Mount Sinai, God revealed himself in an incredible display of power and glory, and he invited them into a formal relationship. Do you remember what that relationship was called? Covenant. Good. All I need is one. Uh, like one student got it. Yes, God. It's a successful series. Uh, yeah. He invited into this formal relationship that we call a covenant. The Bible is called a covenant. And, and so God said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And they said, I do. It's much like marriage. They said, I do. And so then Moses went up on the mountain to get the fine print of the relationship. And remember, when he came back, his face was glowing. He'd absorbed the glory of God, and the people were freaked out. Like, what's up with Moses? What's, you know, the, got the halo face going. And so uh, what's up? And so remember, Moses put a veil over his face to protect them so they wouldn't be afraid, but also by, by putting this veil over the face, he was transformed by being in the presence of God, but they weren't transformed by the glory. 
And so in this passage, Paul is working off that Old Testament event and using it as a spiritual metaphor. And he says, when a man or woman comes into a relationship with God through Jesus, it's like the veil is taken away. And we see who God is. We see who God is in the face of Christ. We see his glory, and we're transformed. In fact, in this one long sentence we just read from Paul, he makes four powerful statements about God's vision for our life. The first one is about transformation, right? That, that when we enter this, when the veil's taken away, we are transformed. Secondly, he said this is an ongoing transformation. I was just, transformation doesn't just start and stop when we come to Jesus, but remember what he said? We are being transformed into at with ever-increasing glory. So the, the longer we follow Jesus, the more we should be transformed. And then he tells us what the goal of this transformation, he said we're being transformed into his image. That's the goal, that we would be like Jesus, the people we are created to be. And then finally, he says, this whole process is supernatural. At the end, he says, then all this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, so this is what kind of the big picture story of this entire series that we've learned. Then I want you to catch this. When a man or a woman comes to Jesus, his vision for our life is so much bigger than we'd simply be forgiven and go to heaven when we die or the next life. That his vision is that when we enter into relationship, we would enter into a personal, firsthand, life-changing relationship where our relationship with our creator becomes the most important relationship in our life. And that as we go press into that relationship, we're transformed, we're changed, we're become like Jesus, and the whole thing is led this whole is led by the process of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first big concept that we want to take with us. Number two, the second big concept is we've learned a lot in this series about tough times and particularly the relationship between transformation and tough times. And if you've been here in this series, you know this, that the big challenge that Paul is facing in Corinth is that there are many in Corinth who are questioning challenging his authority. Is he really an apostle of Jesus? Does he really speak with the authority of Jesus? And one of the main reasons they're challenging this is they've grown up in a very wealthy, sophisticated city. And when they look at Paul, his life from their perspective is often a mess. He's always being arrested, thrown into jail, whipped, beaten, stoned, uh, shipwrecked. He's often poor. He's, got, he's not dressed for success. When they look at Paul, he doesn't look successful in the way they've measured success throughout their life. And so the question is, throughout this letter, is how can God be with you? How can you be speaking for Jesus when your life is such a mess? And Paul says, hey, Corinthians, you've totally missed what it means to be a follower of Jesus because the reality is, is that he's not promised us an easy life. In fact, if you follow Jesus, there'll be many times that you will be asked to follow the way of the cross. There's many times you'll be able to follow him to go through hard times before your resurrection, just like he had to go through suffering before his. In fact, that it's in the tough times that it's one of God's greatest tools of transformation in our life. 
that it's in the tough times, in the hard times, when we are pressed beyond our own strength, it's in the hard times we draw near. It's in the hard times God reveals himself. It's in the hard times God speaks. It's in the hard times we learn how to trust and release the power of God. It's in the hard times we stop relying on ourselves and start relying on him. It's in the hard times we learn how to surrender to his will and not ours like Jesus in Gethsemane. And it's in the hard times we are transformed so we can be a conduit of his grace and power to others in the midst of their hard times. You have missed what it means to be a follower of Jesus, called Corinthians, you see? And so he says, you want to know why I'm willing to go through hard times? You want to know why I am asked to suffer so much for Jesus? Because as an apostle of Jesus, I have not called just to talk to you about the path of Jesus. I've called to model the path of Jesus. And when you look at my life and you look at my life, you, you watch me beaten, you watch me persecuted, you watch me thrown into jail, you watch me stoned, you look like, I, it constantly looks like I'm on the verge of death, but I keep on getting up like the Energizer Bunny, you cannot stop me. And as I rise up, you see the power of God in my life. You see the power of God by the power of endurance. You might knock me down, but you will not knock me out. And that's because of the resurrection power of Jesus in my life. And so what he says then is this is the way he puts it. He says, we always, in chapter four, (coughs) we always, and he's talking about as apostles, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. And what we find in our life as followers of Jesus is that God has a vision for our life. It's a vision of transformation. It's not just you're forgiven, it's that you are completely transformed to be like Jesus, but one of the most powerful tools in his life is not the good times, it's the hard times. Because it's in the hard times that we're drawn close, that that he is revealed. We learn to trust. His power is released. We learn to surrender and we are transformed, amen? Now, number three. The third lesson (coughs) is the lesson of the cross. If you were to compare the journey of transformation, if you were to compare God's this process of metamorphosis, if you were to compare this process of metamorphosis to a journey, that the cross would be the high point. The cross would be the mountain peak from which you can look back and make sense of the whole story of our race and look forward to see the future of our race. You know, we started the day with the story of these two guys who were gonna go be backpacking and then climbing Mount Whitney and, and then the forest fires come and I have to change plans, and then go on the internet and that whole thing. Um, probably some of you guessed this. If it's a disaster story, it's usually about me, right? So um, <clears throat> wilderness and disaster, it's Michael. Um, and so sure enough, this is a story from my life from last August. And you remember the huge fires we had last year? And uh, a close friend of mine, he's also one of our pastors here, Steve Sears. We're often adventure buddies. And uh, Steve had hit me up. He'd hit me up a few months before. And he says, Steve's always asking me to do something crazy. 
He is coming back today. He went to swim in the Arctic Circle last week. He asked me if I could go. It's like, no, I've got a job. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so Steve's always asking me to do these crazy things. And so he came to me a while back. He said, hey, there's this third highest peak in North America. It's outside, Mex it's outside Mexico City, about 19,000 feet. You want to climb it? And I'm like, no. You know, like I'll probably get altitude sickness or whatever. So he's like, well, how about this? How about we climb Mount Whitney? And that's only 14,000. I think see how we do. And he had actually done this once before. And I said, okay, that sounds great. So we're going to backpack in, you know, set up base camp, and then do the up and back in a long day. You know, just let day pack on. So that's what we got to train for. But when the fires came up, that's not going to work. And so I go on the internet, best, I went best hikes, best backpacking trip in the Sierras. And this one keeps coming up. It's 27 miles. It goes over two mountain passes and all, but it sounds beautiful. And so <laughs> we decide, yeah, that we'll do that. And so like I said, well, from the very moment this thing starts, it's, I mean, pelting rain. Not a little bit of sprinkles. I mean, pelting rain. And we're like, and Steve is a search and rescue. He used to be in search and rescue in Arizona. And so I trust my life with him. That's why I'll go with him. Because I think maybe he'll keep me alive. <laughs> and so as we're out there, I'm thinking like, you know, it's probably not so safe like hiking in the Sierras with lightning, you know. And so much of the time we're under trees, you know, because those are real safe. And... Uh, but we're hiking through this driving rain. We finally get to the end of the first day. It's been a long day. And the next day is our big, first big day. We're going to go over the big first mountain pass. And so, we'll, like I said, we start heading out this, this, this trail. And it's a beautiful trail. And just shortly up, the trail disappears. And we're just going up this steep ascent. And you can't, so there's no trail. And uh, it's just like all this thing that they call scree. You know, it's like small granite rocks, big boulder rocks. Uh, like slippery. <clears throat> so now we're on like hands and, you know, all fours going up with backpacks on. And it's exhausting. <laughs> and we finally get to the top and we didn't die, so we decided to keep going. <laughs> we hiked 11 hours that day. We hiked till like 8 o'clock at night, set up camp. The next day we get up and we, we're going to head out. We've got our next big pass that day. We hike all morning. Steve's not feeling well. So about every hour we got to stop because he needs to go use the trees, right? And so then I, I had woken up, I just I had internal bleeding. And I'm not going to tell you about that because it's just disgusting. But anyway, uh, so we're not, neither one of us at our best. And we hike about half day and then we get to this last pass and it just looks ominous. And it's like, can we do this? Right? Can, that was one of the hardest things I've done in a year. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> It was such a hard hike. But when you finally get to the top, oh man, you can see forever. And you remember why you do this. You can look back where you've gone. And you know, when you, like when you climb the top of a big mountain peak, like often when you're down in the valley, you can't tell where you are, how far it is. How, you don't get a sense of perspective. But when you get back, you can look back and it makes sense of everything. Like, oh, it makes sense. And you can look forward and see where you're going. In fact, I, I brought a couple pics to show you. All right, so we're going to look at the screen. So this was the first <coughs> top of the first pass that we were climbed up. And so we'd kind of come up from down there somewhere. 
Uh, yeah, remember, you can see over from the clouds. You go to the next one. Again, this is looking down. This is the kind of thing we were going up with backpacks on without a trail. And so now we made it to the top of the first one. Let's go to the next slide. So there's me. Yay, we're on top of the trail. All right, we made it. Still alive. So we continue like the 11-hour day, right? So the next day, we come to the second. This is the mountain we're going to have to go over. Uh, this is the pass. In fact, if you look carefully, you can see Steve. He's on the right side, about halfway up. Little orange button. Sorry, you can't make it bigger on your phone. But... Uh, yeah, so, okay, then we'll go to the next one. Yeah, so now we're starting up that trail. And so you, when you finally get to the top, you know, then you get perspective. So let's go on to the next one. So now we're at the top, and we're looking back. That's where we've come from. We just ran some other guys up there. And um, that one guy with the pink hat, the guy has running. He's running the 27 miles in one day. Why? Like, just to embarrass us? You know, we're like, yeah, no big deal, no backpack on. And, uh, now, if I'd known I was going to use this as an illustration, I would have taken, gone to the edge, I got more pictures. But the beautiful thing is, when you're on the top, like I said, you can see, and it makes sense of where you've come. And then you can also move forward. Now we're, uh, this is still looking back. This is where we've come, down that valley down there. Now you look forward, here's where we're going, right? And the point is, when you get on top of a high mountain, you can make sense of your journey. And when we come to this third point of the cross, it's like the high point of the journey, from which you can look back and see the story of our race, and suddenly things make sense. And it's where you can look forward and see what's coming, and oh, I get where we're going. And I want you to think about this, how when we got to chapter five, we talked about the cross, and we looked back at the story of our race. We went, looked all the way back to, to the garden. We looked at our original rebellion against our creator and king. When we, we, we rebelled against the source of all life, and it led to death at every level of our human experience. And we, we looked back then, and we saw the story of Israel. And we watched Israel coming out of out of Egypt and Mount Sinai in the first covenant. And we watched God teach them how to do sacrifices to be able to enter into his presence. You remember that? Remember we talked about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, where the high priest would put his head on the, on the, uh, hand on the head of the bull. Uh, this picture of a transfer of sin, a substitute. God's beginning to teaches people what's required for transformation to happen, for reconciliation to happen, what it requires to live in the presence of God. There has to be a, 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 a transfer of sin. There has to be somehow a freedom of sin, a reconciliation. Do you remember when we look back at Isaiah 52 and 53, we were introduced to this mysterious character that, was, that Isaiah calls the servant of the Lord or the servant of Yahweh who will is predicted he will come to his people and not be recognized and be rejected and actually killed, but it turns out he's actually dying for the sin of his people. See, as we look back from this high hill of the cross, the whole story comes into focus. And Paul summarizes it in a single statement in chapter five. It's there in your note sheet. And he says, God made him who had no sin. Who's that? Yeah, Jesus, to be sin for us, that transfer, the 
the hand of the high priest going to the head of the ball, this transfer, this exchange, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We call it the great exchange that we're able to enter into relation with God, be forgiven, be transformed because of the one who came to stand in for us, to be sin for us. But the cross, from this vantage of the cross, it not only looks back and makes sense to the future, it looks forward to the end of the story because the prophets of Israel had promised that one day God would return to his people, forgive their sins, change them from the inside out, turn all wrongs to right, but ultimately he would restore all creation. All wrongs would be healed. And the prophet Isaiah, for example, talked about the new heavens and the new earth, about this new creation that would come. And so from the cross, we can look forward. In fact, here's what Paul says, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that the new creation that was prophesied by the prophets that would take place at the end of time, that actually that new creation starts in the midst of time in the life of the person who is reconciled to God through Jesus. And that at the core of there being the same God who said over the first creation, let there be light. He says in chapter four, he says that God speaks and says, let there be light. And we see who Jesus is and our eyes are open, the veil is removed. And the same God who hovered over the first creation and called forth beautiful things, hovers over our life and calls out this new creation. So when a man or woman comes to Jesus, we are changed at the core of our being, the deepest part of us, we are no longer the same. That we are deeply changed with new desires and new passions and new sense of right and wrong and a new awareness of who God is. And so Paul describes it like this in 517. He says, if anyone is in Christ, which is his favorite way of talking about <coughs> coming to Christ, the new creation has what? It's come. It's here. The old is gone. The new has come. And so that through the cross that we look back over where we've been and we look forward to where we're going. And in fact, that we enter into relationship with God through Jesus, that new creation starts in our life. And number four, that leads to number four. And number four, we learned about the next life. And we learned that, 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 that when we come to Christ, the new creation, it isn't the end of the story. It's the start of our story. It's the start of the recreation of all creation. And that just like the prophet said that one day when Jesus returns, he will turn all wrongs to right and he will bring this new creation that started in our life, he'll bring it to fruition globally, cosmically in all creation, but he'll also bring it to fruition in our lives. And so he talks about this, that right now we, we have these old bodies that we groan in, these kind of model number one, you know? But that when Jesus returns, that we will receive new bodies, kind of version 2.0, like his. And he points out that they're, they're real, they're physical, they're tangible, that the next life, we're not like ethereal spirits playing harps on clouds, that, that we are, have a new body for the new creation. And he says the new bodies that we're getting are as far superior to our current bodies as living in a beautiful home is superior to living in a Coleman tent. 
And because the future is coming and it's real, therefore we need to be living this day for that day. That be the reality, he said, as followers of Jesus, every one of us, remember this, every one of us will stand one-on-one with Jesus before the judgment. And remember we said when we stand there, you can't take your pastor. You can't take your wife. Hey, I'm not much, but she's amazing. (laughs) You can't take your family and get like a group grade. No, we're all gonna go one-on-one and be evaluated for the lives we live, the gifts that we've been given, how we, the choices we made, and therefore we wanna live this life for the next life. In fact, this is the way Paul put it in chapter five. He said, so, you know, because the next life is coming, we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body, we're still alive, or we're away from it, we've died, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember the bema? the bema of Christ, so that each of us, no exceptions, may receive what's due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And that leads to the last one, the last point, which was real repentance. And we studied this last week, and we we saw that the Corinthians, that they had come to Jesus, they'd received the gift of his spirit, but they weren't listening and following the spirit. They were being more conformed to their culture than they were to Christ. And so as a result, they were not living the life that they were called to live. They were not experiencing metamorphosis. And so Paul says he calls them back to repentance, a spiritual U-turn, a getting off the road we're on, a turning our car around, heading a new direction. And so remember we learned last week that real repentance is more than recognition. Hey, yeah, that was wrong. That real repentance is more than remorse. Ah, I'm sorry I did that. That real repentance is more than regret. I wish I had never done that. That real repentance, remember we learned, it's a reorientation of our life. It's a changing the way we think that leads to a change of action. It's doing a spiritual U-turn. And what we learned last week is that repentance is not just how we start our spiritual journey. This is how we start, right? That repentance starts when we come to Jesus, the veil is taken away, we realize who he is, what he's done for us, and we repent. We we say, I'm sorry for what I've done. I, I wanna turn my life over to you. I wanna come under your leadership. I receive your free gift of forgiveness, total amnesty for all crimes against your kingdom, but I come under your leadership and I'll follow you. And so we said that, that our spiritual journey starts with what Dre likes to call a beautiful act of repentance. But what we learned last week is that for the Christ follower, repentance is not just how we start the journey, it's not just even an occasional act when we get way off track and we know it and we're being deliberately rebellious that for the Christ follower, repentance is a way of life. And the reason is the Holy Spirit is always opening our eyes to new areas we need to grow, new areas of change, new truths, things we thought we were right, now we're wrong. And when he reveals the truth, it's as we turn and listen and follow that we are transformed. And so the way he put it (laughs) there in your note sheet, 
He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings what? So remember he said there's two kinds of sorrow in life. There's a sorrow that leads to true change, to repentance, and there's a sorrow that just leads to sorrow. And the sorrow that comes from God leads to repentance, and which in turn leads to salvation or life, both this life and the next. Just sorrow by itself just leads to death. And so this weekend, we are celebrating baptisms. And if you stop and think about it, at the, baptism at the core is about repentance. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter first shared the message of Jesus on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and 3,000 people came to Christ, they said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's called repentance, I mean, baptism is, a, is an act of repentance, it's where we come under the leadership of our king. It's where we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, first of all, will you wash away all my sins in this water? But secondly, it's a place where we say, I, I need to die. I need to die to my old life, and I can't do that because if I die, I'm dead. But would you take me with you in your death, and would you take me with you in your resurrection? And so when we baptize people, that's the symbolism, is that we, we're baptized with, into Christ and into his death, a deep act of repentance from the old life, we go under the water, we're buried with him in baptism, and then we rise with him by the power of his spirit to live a new life, amen? amen. And so today, this weekend, we actually have 37 people have come to say, isn't that awesome? That, uh, who are saying, I wanna repent, and I believe in Jesus and I want to surrender my life to him, and I want to be forgiven, and I want the gift of his spirit, and I want to be transformed. I want to enter in this journey of transformation, both for this life and the next life. And uh, this weekend, we actually have 15 people at this service that we're baptizing. So I'm going to invite you, if you're here to be baptized, if you'd come to the side. And uh, for the rest of which, will you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to head into worship as we prepare for baptism together. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this series and what you've taught us and what we've learned together about this incredible vision of metamorphosis, your vision for our lives, that we'd be transformed like a tadpole into the frog, like the, butter, like the caterpillar into the butterfly, that we'd be transformed into who, from who we are into who we are created to be, people like you. And Father, we thank you that that journey starts with a beautiful act of repentance where we come under the leadership and ask Jesus in our life. And then supernaturally, it's led and empowered by your spirit. And so as we prepare for that, and as a church, as we affirm our belief in you, we affirm our belief in you as our God the Father, as Christ the Son, as the Holy Spirit who unites us in the body of Christ. We pray and meet us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. When death was arrested and my life began, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Amen. The old is gone, the new has come because death has been arrested. When we're baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into his death and into his resurrection. We share the impact, the 
reality of his death of sin, his power for a new life. And so today we celebrate this beautiful vision of metamorphosis, of transformation, of forgiveness, of change from the inside out by the power of his spirit. We've seen it today in the stories. And so may this be a week where we press into the story uh, of God for our lives. You know, next week we're kicking off season two of this longer running series called Metamorphosis. And it's called Growing in Generosity. You have an invite card inside. It's, uh, it's only a three week series, which in and of itself is a miracle at Rocky Peak. <laughs> that uh, you know God's on the move when we do a three-week series. Um, so I hope that you can be here next week. Again, if you have to be out of town for any legitimate reason, um, you can see those on my webpage, what those would be. Uh, no, if, if uh, for any legitimate, then be sure to follow uh, along in our YouTube channel because as always, the first week of a new series sets the, st the stage and the tone for the whole series. So I look forward to seeing you next week as we talk about growing in generosity, what it looks like to be go through metamorphosis and transformation to become like Jesus in the area of his generosity. So it's gonna be a great time together. As we leave the right, uh, to my right, you've got prayer uh, here at the, the, uh, the edge of our auditorium. We've got badges on. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, until next week, may the Lord be with you. And may this be a week that you press into him for the story he's writing in your life that you would be listening and following his leadership. You would not be like the Corinthians who are being conformed to the image of their culture, that you would be like Christ and conformed to, like Paul, conformed to the image of Christ. And as you do, you move into the future that God has for you, his preferred future, as we listen and follow. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next week.